All right, competitor, what's the narrative you're living by? And if it's not the one you want, are you willing to change it? That's the discussion I have today with my new friend and founder of I'm Changing the Narrative, Rachel Joy Barbo. My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text PODCAST to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit CompeteEveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, competitor. How many times in life do we just get caught on autopilot? Like we start writing a story with our life, we start a career, we start a relationship, and then we just go on autopilot. And as things happen, we lose our intentionality. We just allow things to be what they are instead of being proactive and intentional, choosing to change those things. Today's guest was on SEC sidelines, ACC sidelines, college football reporting, and growing her way through the sports reporting world when she decided to make a change. She didn't love herself. She didn't love the things she was doing. And she was passionate about making a change, not only in her life, but in others. I want today's conversation to be an encouragement to you. As I told her on the show The October theme from Rebecca's conversation last week to Jordan's conversation next week is all about rising. It's all about having that Phoenix mentality and rising up. We laughed this month is October. It's Halloween. There's ghouls and goblins running around, and it's all about tombstones and cemeteries rising from the dead. But for a lot of us, we're not dead yet, but maybe we've given up on rising from our situation. Maybe we just don't like what we're doing, but we think it's too late to make a change. We're too far this way. We're too invested that way. But the reality is any one of us any day can choose to draw a line in the sand, to plant our foot, to change our direction, to change the narrative of the life story we're writing. It simply starts with what your next choice is. And so all of the conversations this month, I hope, become an encouragement to you that whatever situation you're in, whatever struggle or challenge or adversity you're facing, that your story is not over yet. That if you want to change the story you're writing, it starts by changing the next choice you make. And every single one of us, no matter where we are, no matter how far we think we're gone, no matter how much we feel like we lack, have the ability to change our next choice and by doing so can start changing our life story. That's why we compete, right? We don't show up and give our best. We don't show up and risk failure. We don't show up and and chance falling short for average, for settling for complacency. Of course not. We show up and compete to be our best, to reach our full potential, to write the life story that we want to be known by, to create the legacy we want to be remembered by. We don't put in the effort to compete to just blend in and be complacent. We show up and compete to make an impact. 
And so I want you to be encouraged by today's episode as well as every episode this month that no matter where you are, no matter what failure you're facing, no matter how far behind you believe you are, the change starts today and the change starts with your next choice. And I hope you start to make it. Because I'm cheering for you, competitor, each and every day to show up, to compete, to pursue your full potential and to live your best life. Anybody can do it but most won't. Since you're here, I believe you will. So I'm going to keep cheering for you as you do. Now, let's get into today's inspiring, encouraging, and just fun episode with Rachel Joy Barbo with a guest appearance by her barking four-legged furry friend, Buddy Joe. Rachel Joy, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. I am so thrilled to be with you. I got to tell you, you probably get this all the time, but when I got your request, I was like, wow, he's like, he's amazing. I knew you were already, but I was like this, I sent it to my social media people. It's a mother and daughter and they're awesome. Their, their names are Kim and Abby, a shout out to them. And I was like, look at this request. So like, this is so neat. So no, the, the honor is mine. I just want to say thank you for thinking I'm neat enough and what I'm doing is neat enough to, to come on your show. Yeah, no, you, you're doing some awesome work and I'm really excited to get to introduce it to our listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with it. One of the things kicking off today is I would love to know what your narrative today is. Mm. My narrative today is to nourish your soul right now. Um, we say something about movement. We'll get into it later, but we say, take off the mask. And I'm not talking about your COVID mask. I'm talking about the mask that you wear for people all day, every day and work and family where we say, ha, everything's fine. I'm good. And so me taking off my mask at the beginning of this interview and, and visit together would be saying, look, I am getting married in less than 70 days. I'm running a national movement. I'm learning how to be a bonus mom to four of the greatest kids alive. And we just kind of got done on the tail end of massive and very stressful home renovation. And so today I was just practicing what I preach and in between plans and this and that and all the crazy time in my life, I was like, you know what, I'm going to nourish my soul and go take my dog for a walk. And that 20 minutes meeting my, I stopped and met my new neighbors. I talked to, you know, it was just breathe deeply that 20 minutes. And I teach people this all the time is self-care doesn't have to be like a set time. There doesn't have to be like you check in and check out eight hours of self-care. I've nourished my soul, you know, (laughs) like whatever it is that feeds your soul, whatever amount of time that may be, you know, maybe one hug of a child. It may be one glimpse of the ocean. It may be one back spring in the front yard, you know, like, I don't know what it is, but for me, that 20 minutes absolutely nourished my soul and, and got me plugged back in to be able to continue to work this evening. I love it. One of the best things that I started doing really when COVID hit Mm a year and a half ago was afternoons after lunch, go on like a one to two mile walk. I throw in an Mm -hmm. audio book or a podcast and just walk. And now obviously I take the dogs on a quick 20 minute one, but even just the 15, 20 minute dog walk, such a great reset in the middle of the day for me. Um, And just like you said, the self-care doesn't have to be all day for me. It's going to the gym. Sometimes, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's uh, going to a movie and just unplugging. But it's so crucial, especially taking care of that mindset, taking care of ourselves so we can be at our best for others. And, and that's 
I think a lot of people get tripped up on this idea of taking time for you or doing something that nourishes you is selfish. And it's like, eh, it's actually the most selfless thing you can do because it allows yeah. you to be more present and, and more fulfilled to bring your best. You have such a really cool career and you made a big pivot. One that I think is incredibly important. I'm excited to talk about, mm -hmm. but flashback 15 years ago, what was Rachel Joy like then? What were you focused on and, and what was kind of the career aspirations? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I was focused on keeping a reef over my head and being able to afford dinner and, and my electricity. You know, I, um, I had aspirations and dreams when I set out to be a sportscaster, but it was really about survival. And to be quite frank with you, I don't know any way other than to be radically vulnerable, you know, being a woman in the industry has never been easy in the sports industry. And I, I was in sports talk radio. And so there's really not a lot of women in sports talk radio. And so for me, it was just about, you know, as a woman then, and even now you in, in sports, you have to study twice as hard to be respected half as much. And if you make a mistake, you are held to a higher standard sometimes than when a man makes a mistake. So 15 years ago, I was hustling just like I am now, but in a different way. Um, I was pushing, I was grinding, I was learning, I was probably driving some back road covering, you know, um, recruiting in high school, working for Fox sports. And then on Saturdays, turn around and covering sec games. So I was, I was grinding and I was hustling and I loved every minute of it. And I know we'll talk about the pivot later, but sometimes, you know, when you know, when you know, when you know, and I believe truly in my heart that there's somebody that's going to be listening to this show and is going to say, I'm ready, but I've been scared. I have fear about taking the leap. I'm not happy in my job. I'm not happy in my career. I'm not happy where I live. I'm, I want to do it right. Like I want to do it. And they're scared. And Maybe me today is the sign, take it as your sign to take the leap of faith um, because it is, it's been absolutely life-changing for me. So before we talk about that big change, one of the things that I'd love to talk about is, is during that sports career. Mm -hmm. And I got to see it up close on a few sides from the team side and, and working with organizations and, and teams. And I know Everybody thinks sports is glamorous. And like you just said, you're driving back roads to cover a high school game on Friday, turn around SEC. Like it's not as pretty as everybody thinks it is. And especially when you mentioned the, the fact that being a female in that space, there's very few and you have to work twice as hard as you put it to be respected half as much. We have a lot of ignorant sports fans in the world. That said, how did you, cause you had a successful sports career. How did you, essentially own your seat at the table, own your place. What, what was the mentality like for you from one? I don't care if you don't think I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. And two, I'm going to outwork all these other people. Yeah. Such a good question. I have a feeling there's lots of good questions coming, but um, I remember one of my bosses said to me, Rachel, you're like a pit bull. When you get your story, when you get your teeth into a story, you don't let go. Um, so there was that. I think the greatest thing that happened for me, and I still adhere to it to this day, is relationships matter more than the story. Relationships and people matter more than the headline. I was never a gotcha reporter. I was never somebody who did something underhanded. If it made a subject feel uncomfortable, I just didn't do it. Um, and then the other thing I think that set me apart maybe is you know, people always, my talent got me places. But what I know got me more places was my ability to play well with others in the sandbox. I'm a really good teammate. I love people. I'm very easy to work with and I'm teachable. I'm moldable. 
And so for me, it was just absolute hustle, absolute grind. And you mentioned it. And this average sports fan needs to know that, like, you know, before you criticize, she's a friend of mine, Laura Oakman or Holly Rowe or any man that's doing what they're doing, Melanie Newman, who's breaking barriers in, in, um, in MLB, before you criticize any of them, please know, one, that there's somebody's daughter and somebody's son and sister and all granddaughter and all those things. But the grind and the hustle to get there and the life and the travel and the hotels and the late nights. And we work when other people are partying. You know, we work when other people are celebrating. We work and and a, a game day would start if it was a seven o'clock game, a game day would start at eight, nine a.m. in the morning. Right. And then go to sometimes midnight after the game. Um, so it's, it was wonderful and amazing, but I'm so glad that you brought up the non-glamorous part of it. Cause it was very, very hard. And I was just talking to my dad about that the other day, that there, that part of the sports career, I don't necessarily miss. I like um, being with my family. I like having more of a work-life balance, even though I work a lot now, but it's something different. Um, yeah, there's a whole nother side of it. So thanks for bringing that up. No, you, you bet. I, I love to always share that because it, it's never as pretty uh, as we think it is on the outside. Uh, one of the questions along the lines that just kind of popped up while you were sharing that is uh, looking at media today, you can't help but see the gotcha headlines, the, the people always out to take other people down. And I love how you talked about if, if the subject was uncomfortable uh, while you're interviewing, getting to know people, if they were, you, you were respectful of the relationship. How did you handle seeing other people in the space being on the attack of people and grow, maybe growing in their career at a different rate than you were in different areas or getting different opportunities because they would pull headlines? Mm-hmm. How did you handle that internally mm-hmm. to stay focused and true to who you were instead of trying to get into the muck and play their game? Okay. So again, another take off the mask because I, I believe in being um, honest And I also have this saying in the movement that you draw more people to you with your imperfections than you ever did with your perfections. No, I just interviewed somebody today, Jordan Montgomery, awesome guy. We talked about that. You will know, people don't connect with perfect. They They connect with imperfect. They don't. So the me taking off the mask and being honest, yeah. I mean, your human reaction is to be jealous of somebody when they get something, go faster, those things. What I've learned to do and what I learned to do then was, okay, acknowledge this feeling, acknowledge that I'm jealous, and then process it and then let it go. And then replace that feeling with, I don't know their story. I don't know where they've been. Their path is different than mine. And what's for me is for me, and you can't take it. And what's for them is for them. And so I don't deny those feelings because I think they're flesh and blood feelings. And if I said I was never jealous, I'd be lying to you and I wouldn't be authentic and I'd be a hypocrite. So I felt them, but then I learned to sit down and process them and, and say, you know what, um, that's for them and they got their path and this path is for me. And now where I am today, I'm like, thank you for not giving me what I wanted. You know, whatever it is, your listeners and viewers believe like for me, it's God, like, thank you, God, for not giving me what I thought I wanted because of where I am today. 
I really appreciate that because I think it's important for listeners to understand you're going to feel things. You're going to feel the envy or the jealousy. You're going to yep. feel those raw emotions. Yep. But the key is to not allow them to control you or determine what choices you make afterwards. It's kind of like the thoughts that come in our head. We, we don't always control the thoughts, but we do control if we stop and reframe them or if we listen to them and or let them go out one ear. And so I really appreciate you, you sharing that piece that yeah, you had the emotions, you, you'd see it, there was jealousy, but then you sat down and processed it. And most importantly, you focused on what's in your control and you stopped being distracted by what's beyond that. Flash forward some years later, you made a very big pivot into changing the narrative in, in your life. And I would love for you to unpack a little bit of that tipping point, that changing moment for your life and really where it started to push you down a path now. Can I do probably maybe one of the funniest, weirdest things. Yeah, you let's do it. Come on, okay. whatever. This so, is fun. So my fiance just texted me um, while we were, and it popped up on my computer while we were recording. And he said, I have a bonus boy. I'm a new mom. So I have a stepchildren and he's playing football tonight. And he said, text Beckham and wish him a good game. So if you'll allow me to do this. Yeah, so do it. My do bonus it. baby goes out on the field knowing that his <laughs> mom is thinking about him. I'm just going to say, you are amazing. And tell him to compete. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> he is a little hustler. Compete, my boy. I love you. All right. Thank you for that. Um, I'm learning after being a career woman for many years and being on my own. I met my fiance four years ago this October, and we're getting married in December. And so now I'm new, learning a whole new role of being a mom. And, um, and so thank you for letting me do that yeah. because I know one of my love languages is words of affirmation. And I know that my bonus children respond to it too. So thank you. No, you bet. I, I, so I met my wife seven years ago. She didn't have kiddos from a previous marriage, but she had dogs and they're <laughs> like children, as you know. Yeah. And so I was single, you know, 30 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's the same dynamic of adjusting to that life and relationship and everything that comes with it, obviously even more so as, as being a bonus mom. And I love how you, how you phrase that. Uh, and so I get it. I get it. We're, you know, life's a constant adjustment, but are we willing to put aside our ego and what was comfortable to say what's best for those we care about, what's best for, for everyone involved. So yes, absolutely. Okay. You can text him as long as he shows up and was encouraged to compete as well. Uh, yeah. awesome. Okay. So let's talk about changing the narrative. Uh -huh. What was the key point that you wanted to change the narrative of your life? Mm -hmm. Ooh, such a good one. Self-love. I didn't love myself for like truly and madly and deeply. And I had holes in my soul the size of Texas that I was trying to fill with people and substances and things and, and um, you know, shopping and things. And when I looked myself in the mirror, beyond my eyebrows or my nose or my makeup or hair. I'm talking about looking at my soul, deeply at my soul. I wasn't proud of the person that was staring back at me. I didn't love myself. And because I did not love myself, um, I did not create standards and boundaries by which people could treat me. I let people walk in and out of my life. I didn't respect myself. I wasn't proud of the decisions I was making and the way I treated people. And when that changed, and it wasn't an overnight thing, but when that began to change and and I started to take a look at who I am and, and how I treat people in my day. We do something in the, in the movement called the mirror exercise. So this is your mirror at night. 
And what you do at night is you look beyond past this and you look at your soul and you say, am I proud of who I was today? And you look at, and a lot of my, my kings and queens of all ages will do a journal and they'll say, you know, okay, I woke up from the time I woke up to this moment, the people I talked to, how I talked to myself, did I keep my word? Did I give max effort? Did I get enough sleep? Did I fuel my body properly? Crap in, crap out. Remember that. So you go through those things and if there's something in there you need to fix, fix it. Life is short and it's precious. And regret is one of the nastiest emotions. It's completely avoidable. And so I tell people, look, you know, make things right. You don't know that you're promised another day. One of my mentors, Kevin Turner, who passed away from ALS, played for the Patriots and the Eagles, Ed Block Courage Award. I climbed Kilimanjaro for him. And he said something super profound the first time I met him. And he said, you could step off a curve tomorrow and get hit by a bus. I got a heads up on my life. I say, I'm sorry. I hug my kids. I live every day to the fullest. And if you just take that saying on its face, it's okay. Yeah. But if you break it down, I hug my kids. Okay. So I'm present. I'm present with my family. I say, I'm sorry. Huge. I live every day to the fullest. That man had it going on. He had it figured out. Um, and was here he was facing this debilitating, horrific disease of which there's no you know, no cure and you become entombed in your own body and yet he still laughed and, and, um, and he fought for people and he served people. And he's a big reason why I created the movement. I'm changing the narrative, but, but to answer the question in, in summary is just, is that's what we teach in the movement. When you have good love for yourself, you can have good love for others. Too many of us, far too many of us are looking for other people to make us happy, to affirm us, to fill us up, to complete us. That's the fallacy that we have in our society. And truthfully, when you love yourself radically, vulnerably, deeply, I know I'm flawed, but I love my flaws and I'm working on them, you know? And when you do that, everything else changes, my friend. What was for you, what was that starting point? Not of just the realization you didn't love yourself, but trying to figure out how to love yourself. Because if yeah. you've spent years not loving yourself and not liking who you are and just allowing people to use you and things come and go, where do you start to start loving yourself? Yeah. So I think, and for me and what I teach is you first have to, we just talked about it a moment ago, you got to process it. You got to face it. And I use this example a lot as well in, in the movement. And it was taught to me by somebody at Vanderbilt. It's very smart. And they said, you know, we've all got a backpack in our life. And say maybe you had a learning disability growing up. You put a brick in that invisible backpack. And then your parents got divorced. You put another brick in that backpack. And then maybe you were assaulted, another brick in the backpack. Maybe you were bullied, another brick in the backpack. So you see how when we're not even 18 years old and we've got this emotional backpack that's weighing us down, to change and to truly love yourself and to face things and to make things right, there's first got to be an acknowledgement of it, a processing of it, processing of, I have another, uh, I love to give shout outs, by the way, I have another friend that I would go to her as a therapist if she wasn't my friend, because she's so smart. But she says, Melanie Reese, she says, we all have filters. And a filter is like a screen on a window. Okay, so my filter is different than your filter. And this filter is everything that we process every day, reactions, relationships through. Now mine, because I had some daddy issues growing up. And so I had mine's rejection and abandonment. And until I acknowledged that filter, that screen, uh, I could not begin to destroy it. 
So for years, I, it, it, you know, there would be things that people would do that didn't even mean anything, right? Didn't mean anything by it, but I would process it through that filter, that screen, and I would automatically be, you know, oh, they rejected me. Oh, they abandoned me. So until I acknowledged that trauma, that pain, that filter, I could not begin to process it. So for me, and I think anybody listening to this amazing show, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge it. I love that. And I appreciate you sharing that as well. I think a lot of times, I mean, uh, when I was a kid, especially you think about seeing a therapist meeting with a counselor, talking through some of this stuff, it's very kind of hands-off hush, hush. We don't talk about it. And, And I love how the narrative on a lot of it is getting changed of how can we better build ourselves. And that starts by loving ourselves and understanding yeah. who we are and where we struggle. And until we understand where we struggle and why we struggle certain ways, you, you can't get better uh, at it or, or grow through it. One of the things I'm, I'm curious about, because you, you live in an interesting world, you're a college football reporter, mm-hmm. uh, or you were, you were around sports, mm-hmm. uh, you have friends in, in sports, and you work with a lot of college athletes now. I know you spend time on college campuses and especially working with athletes around changing the narrative. And yep. on the outside, someone might look at this concept of self love, self love and think, mm-hmm. well, that's very yoga and woo woo. And <laughs> I don't understand about these like 200, 300 pound college athletes that are flying all over the field on Saturdays in the ACC and SEC. I don't really see how that aligns up. But you have opportunities and created opportunities to encourage them on how they change the narrative. And so I would love for you to bridge that gap for individuals listening that may see a very big difference between, well, I get what she's talking about, but I don't understand how that ties to manly men and sports and all the stereotypes we think with athletes. Yeah. So, okay. So first of all, I just want to remind everybody that, uh, that that manly man out there is somebody's son, somebody's grandson, somebody's brother, somebody's baby. Okay, so that's the first thing. Secondly, um, I want to say that it, it's so much more than that. So what we do with I'm changing the narrative, it's kind of this umbrella and underneath this umbrella is this, and the umbrella is this, the belief that there's a king, a queen or royalty inside of every single one of us and greatness and legacy and purpose. And so underneath that comes mental health, comes self-love, good love for yourself and others, interpersonal relationships and legacy and identity beyond athletics. Okay. So you might think that that big, bad football player is, you know, what's he going to, it's, it's so deep. I I try and I try, I help them figure out who they are, what sets their soul on fire beyond being an athlete. And that helps them be a better athlete. I help them find out their trauma and what's going on with them. Because when a young man, and I also speak to women, but when a young man, for example, deals with this trauma, deals with what we call funky junk, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, trauma, you know, it, all of that, when he drops that off, when he gets out of the backpack, drops off the backpack, the bricks out of there, he's going to be a better football player. He's going to be a better student. He's going to be a better boyfriend. He's going to be a better son. And here is the crux for men. Okay. I'm not mad at your granddaddy's granddaddy or his granddaddy's granddaddy's granddaddy. But too many men have been taught generationally, passed down, that to be masculine, it means you need to man up, shut up, put some dirt on it, and keep moving. And it is killing men in record numbers across the country. And I came to tell men, you have never been so strong. You have never been so masculine. You have never been so attractive and courageous and brave as when you say, I'm not okay. Take off the mask. I need some help here. I don't have the tool in my toolbox 
to be able to fix this. I've tried and I need some help. That's what I teach men. And it's revolutionary. And, and because what we see otherwise is the trying to suppress the feelings through alcohol, mm-hmm. through relationships, through sport, yeah. through any anger, any number of things. And all lead to very dark paths, especially as you talked about identity outside of sports, because that is inevitable for every athlete, whether you stop playing in high school or you stop playing after a 15 year NFL career, it just depends if you don't have the healthy relationship of who you are beyond what you do, mm-hmm. depression, alcoholism, mental health struggle, like it all ties in. And, and I, and I say that because man, my career ended after high school. Cause I got injured going into college. And I struggled two years mentally trying to fill holes and void and pain and not having a clue of what was going on in my, in my head, mm-hmm. other than this is worse than any breakup I've had with any girl in my entire life mm-hmm. and struggling. And guys don't talk about a lot of that stuff because like you said, grandfathers and great grandfathers who battled in wars <laughs> are like rubbed dirt on it. And in our head, we're like, damn, well, they, you know, they went to Vietnam or they went to Germany and, and mm-hmm. they fought Nazis. And well, if they're telling me this, well, maybe this is what I, I need to do, but mm-hmm. the world has changed and not that masculinity is, is any less so, but the, the world has changed in terms of what we deal with and where our minds go. And, and mm-hmm. you look at things that are on the phone, um, and the struggle that men have now, women even uh, of access to pornography and what Keep going. Your, yeah, it's okay. Keep Mine going. are barking downstairs. We're good. <laughs> But you look at what, you know, struggles from a mental health standpoint that 50 years ago, you didn't have to worry about. Like you, you, you know, you talk for one, I mentioned, you know, pornography struggles. If you found a great, if you were a great grandfather and you happen to find somebody's dirty magazine, you had that. Now you've got 12 year old kids that are accessing things that you wouldn't believe on a cell phone. And it's mind boggling what it does to their mental health. And the more you suppress those things, the more you suppress those addictions and those struggles, the more bricks you put in your bag. Yes. And if you're, if you're a football player and you're trying to cover a defense, uh, cover a wide receiver with a bag full of bricks, you're not going to be able to do it. Just like if you're a corporate CEO, director, salesperson, and you're walking into work every day, carrying a bag of bricks, like how are you going to have the strength and mental focus to focus and show up and help your team and help your clients? Mm. Preach. Preach. So, so, okay. So I'm curious on this standpoint, because I, I, I love the story I get why you started the movement. I get what started it for you. I see what you do now. Where was the shift to say, I need to use my platform and what I've done in sports to start helping other people, perhaps in sports and beyond it, instead of, Hey, I just need to work on me. I need to love me. And then I'm going to dive back into to being a sports reporter um, mm-hmm. and pursuing this path. Yeah. So I always say, um, oftentimes out of your greatest pain comes your greatest purpose. So don't curse your struggle. I tell people that don't curse your struggle, bitter or better, bitter or better. You get that choice every day. I got to I got to echo this. So this episode is airing October 13th. That message. If you haven't listened to the October 6th episode with Rebecca, who talked about having a brain tumor and then two subsequent brain injuries that she turns life's lemons into lemonade still. And next week's episode with Jordan Montgomery, where we talk about, his getting fired and what that became like, this is the theme of October. And and I have to laugh that it's Halloween raised from the dead right here. And all of the stories of failures and setbacks, like what they can still become. 
And yes. so I love that. And I had to say that because I was like, oh my gosh, I've had three interviews today. They're October. And this is all about rising up from perceived death. Perceived, look, like a phoenix rising from the that's ashes. Right. I mean, that's exa it's exactly what it is. And in the summer of 2019, I saw a problem in college athletics. And I was created, whatever it is you believe, God created me as a do something girl. I run to trouble instead of away from trouble. And that's what I teach people, just like my dog here is running through trouble. <laughs> Run at trouble. I know, right? And so I saw a problem in college athletics, and that was that there was guys getting in trouble, coaches getting in trouble. There was domestic violence, sexual assault. We were on the heels of Penn State. We were um, in the thick of Baylor. It was terrible. And I thought, what if I could teach athletes how to trend for something positive? Buddy Joe, hush. What if I could teach them how to, you're laughing because you've been through this too, I have. How, to, how to trend for something positive. And so I created this curriculum and it was like, who are you away from the field? What makes your heart beat faster? Identity, my own experience with domestic violence. So I was in, I was emboldened to tell them about the night I got drugged from one end of the house to the other by my hair and how there were other men in the house that night and no one came to help me. There were no kings in the house that night. And so I tell them the story and I ask them, if you were there, would you have helped me? And some scream, some jump up and down, some cry, some come afterwards and say, yes, I've seen it. But every time a man says, yes, I would help you, a little piece of my soul heals. And so I, it was kind of one of those things like I could not help. I could not throw my hat in the ring. I could not throw run to the burning building. We just, you know, we just had the anniversary of 9-11. And, you know, the I was so moved again and again by the people on the flight that said, let's roll, Todd Beamer, you know. And so in my spirit, I said, let's roll. Let's do something. I can't stand by and watch this happen. And so that was 2019, August of 2019, FSU. And then in December... I was with Clemson 14 days before they dismantled Ohio State and route to a national championship. And then I blink and we're five years later and we're 50 plus schools, many of them multiple um, visits. And that's the smartest way to do it. I also work with Customs and Border Patrol, law enforcement, prison ministry, corporations, churches, and high schools. So I have to ask because in the seeds of, of pain and failures and setbacks, sometimes some incredible opportunities bloom. When you started doing this and, and talking about changing the narrative, mm -hmm. I'm guessing the relationships you respected, you built, and you cultivated as a sports reporter were some of the first calls and opportunities you got. Yeah, because Christy Malzahn's a, a friend of mine. Um, and I remember back in the day, I was, there was, an, I was working for an outlet and they wanted to do like this funny thing, like where they went to Waffle House and Gus was like flipping, you know, eggs or whatever. And I, and they really, really wanted it. And I was going to get paid a you know, nice sum for it. We were going to do it and, and whatnot. And, and she said to me, she was like, Rachel, Gus, and she said this lovingly, but she's like, he's not funny like that. Like, it's not going to be a good segment, you know, like it's not. And I remember going back to them and saying, no, you know, I, I refuse, I turn it down. It's not going to happen. I, I value my relationship with, you know, the Malzons more than I do this, this um, particular story. And so I'm going to protect that. And yet doing what I do, what happened was the way I treat people, the way we treat people, what you do in the dark will catch up with you in the light.
I tell my players all the time. I tell my uh, my law enforcement. I tell everybody that I work with. I don't care who you are when you turn on the camera, my friend. I don't care who you are when you put on the badge. I don't care who you are when you put on the uniform. I care who you are when no one is looking. Character is who you are when no one's looking. And so absolutely, yes. What happened, Dr. Kevin Elko is a dear friend of mine, Nick Saban's right-hand man. The legends. uh, Right? He's amazing. And he calls and says, I'm on a family vacation in Jackson Hole. We went every year and I'll never forget it because my mom's in heaven now, but he calls and we're standing in the kitchen of our rental house. And he says, uh, get your bags packed. This is like mid-August. He said, get your bags packed. Jimbo Fisher wants you at FSU August 26th. And we all held hands. Happy tears. I miss my mom. And um, and we all held hands and we jumped up and down. And we were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, because the craziest part of it was, is even though I was a college football reporter, I never put two and two together. That this would be in colleges. I thought it was going to be a high school curriculum, a high school workbook. That's what I thought it was going to be. Little did I know what it would turn into. Man, I, and I, there's a couple of things to that that I, I really want to hit on. One, Dr. Kevin Elko, that's a guy I could just binge and learn from. And I do quite frequently because for those listeners that haven't spent some time, uh, he always wraps up, go and be a blessing to others uh, is how he ends his talks. But a premier guy in sports psychology, phenomenal. But the other piece is, is what we just talked about. And, and the work you do in the shadows is what allows you to shine in the spotlight. Like mm. the, the work you do in the off season sets you up for game day. But in life, the work you do in the not now season, the seeds you plant, the relationships you cultivate, that's what determines whenever you get to quote where you want to be, whether you have anything to harvest or not. And mm. even though the sports reporting like wasn't the end all be all for you, this changing the narrative is the relationships you had, the relationships you cultivated and you respected laid the groundwork for what you're able to do now. And so for those listeners, we talked to at the very beginning that said, if you, if you feel like you're in your heart, you're destined to do something different and you're waiting and, and you're hoping you can do something different and, and something else is bigger inside of you. How are you taking care of the now season, the not now season, doing what you can to make the most of it. So you're ready for that future season. And so I really want to echo that, especially as we talk about Rachel Joy's story here of just how she was able to use that time and those setbacks and that pain and that disappointment and and that whole period, the goods and the bads to put her in a position to make the impact she's making now. And so wherever you're sitting in in your time, make the most of it, compete to make the most of it, but keep your eyes on what's still ahead. Mm. So right now, Rachel, you work with teams, organizations, churches, all sorts of groups. You go in, you've got workbook, you've got curriculum, you have tons of programs on it. What is the best fit for you? If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about their athletic team or their athletic department or their col- uh, their corporation and their mm-hmm. team, what's the best fit when they need to reach out and say, th- I want to change the narrative within our building, mm-hmm. but how do I know what we need to change? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, it would be getting honest. Like we said earlier, getting honest with yourself. Do you have, you know, do you have workplace bullying? You know, I know I've talked to many women, you know, sometimes young bullies turn into, you know, older mean people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. And I have this other thing that I do where if somebody's being mean to me and I'm not always perfect at it, but it's what I aspire to. If somebody's being mean to me, or being short with me or having a really bad day, I try to find something about them that I can genuinely compliment. And you can often watch them open up like a flower. You can watch the bitterness dissipate. You can watch the person say, you're the first person that's asked me how I'm doing today. 
You're the first person that's used my name, you know, those types of things. And so I think you have to, as a leader, as a um, coach or as a CEO or whatever it may be, you have to assess and say, what's going on? Are my, are my people burn out? Are they, are they um, mentally burnt out? Maybe you institute once a month, a Friday off or a half day, or give them a day to work on a passion project. Maybe you have find everybody, you know, you do some team building, right? Um, so that is, you know, that's, that's the first thing I would do in any corporation or any business or, or team is to also assess the needs, what's going on honestly, vulnerably. And then the last thing I would say is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Every bit of magic in my life has happened when I am uncomfortable, when I'm scared. Fear is like, I say a wave. You're on the beach. It's coming. Okay. It's going to come. It's going, it's, you're either going to ride it or it's going to knock you flat in the face and you're going to eat sand. So for me, I'm like, I'd rather ride it and say, come on now, bring it, bring it wave and ride it versus just stay on the shore and never get out in the ocean. Fear is inevitable. It's what you do with the fear. And I always say courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving in the face of fear. Well, and, and to echo those folks here that are still active, that are listening, that, that work out, go to the gym, you don't get gains. You don't grow. You don't build muscle without shaky legs, missed PRs, so days on end of being sore. It's the discomfort of doing the work that puts you in a position to be stronger, to be more fit, to be ready for that goal. So from a physical sense, we get that. This is the emotional growth. This is the mental. This is the key piece of life that influences everything else that we do. Uh, so a company's heard that. They're willing to get in that discomfort. Where can they get connected with you, learn more about your programs, and maybe see if you're the right fit to come in and help their team sit in some of that discomfort to change the narrative for the better? Ooh, I love it. I'm changing the narrative.org, the letter I, the letter M. I'm changing the narrative.org. There you can hit the contact button, it goes directly to my email. Um, I think sometimes one of the hardest things for me with people is that. You want to get them a message. You want to tell them this. You want to get in contact and you can never get to them. You know, they're so guarded. They've got seven layers of gatekeepers that you want to share something with them and it'll never, ever get to them. And um, I have people that help me, but that contact button goes directly to my email. And so that, you know, people can share stories or they need help or they want a booking. And so on there, we've got success stories. We've got different groups. We've got retreats in Costa Rica next year. We've got all kinds of videos. We've got Anything and everything, you can spend a lot of time on I'm changing the narrative.org. I love it. I love it. And where are you most active on social media? Instagram, um, for sure. Twitter, I used to be. Um, Twitter was, was my sports career, and I have the most um, – look, the reason why people have stayed with me through all these moves, all these things I've done, and as I mentioned, retiring in 2019 after the, hosting the first mental health game between Minnesota and Maryland, walking away, you know – the height of my career being on Sirius and just first female hosts on Sirius XM on their college station, just walking away, knowing this is what I was meant to do. Um, you know, so that was Twitter. And so that's where my sports fans are, but they've stayed loyal and I'm loyal to them. I'm real. They know my life. They've been with me through the, you know, loss of my mother, the loss of my father, all the things I've been through. But Instagram is, I just love Instagram to be able to tell a story, to be able to connect, to be able to put videos. That's where we connected, where, you know what I mean? Like I, I do love the um, more storytelling aspect of, of Instagram and the creative aspect of Instagram. 
you and me both. It's just a little more fun place to play. Uh, listeners, if you're listening to this first, give Rachel Joy a follow on those channels, uh, sports, uh, Twitter, but more than anything, Instagram, where she likes to hang out uh, and then check it out. Check out I'm changing the narrative.org. Uh, it could be a fit for your organization. I know we have a lot of college coaches and athletic directors that listen to this show, and it may be something beneficial for your athletes heading into the end of 2021 or even in 2022 to implement and help your student athletes go to the next level. Rachel Joy, this has been phenomenal. I appreciate you so much making the time to hang out on the show this week. Okay. I've got to make you laugh though on the way yeah. out. You know, real life, you know, it's real life before, but real, real life in the pandemic. My dog gets the award. If you can go ahead and send a trophy <laughs> and the most vocal dog ever to be on your show. Okay. Buddy Easily. Joe. You get the award, most vocal dog. And so we'll be expecting the trophy any day. Now. Yes, yes. Uh, I was about to say, Buddy Joe has definitely beat out my two uh, <laughs> after having moved my studio upstairs and out of the way. Uh, because if they're up here, they don't see the UPS or Amazon guy. And if they're downstairs, which they will see them, uh, I can't hear it. So easily hands down, Buddy Joe wins the, the award. Uh, and give him our thanks as well for hanging out and contributing to the show. It added a little fun, a little humor. And more than anything, it added a little authenticity to the talk. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Rachel. Let's do it again soon. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit competeeveryday.com.